Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The latest edition of the UU World, the quarterly periodical of our denomination, featured a beautiful article by Doug Muter about the gravity of family. A gravity that has a dual meaning. First, that our families of origin are quite seriously knit into our lives. And second, that families have a way of sucking us back in toward them despite whatever efforts we've made to stay away. Family has gravity. We just can't escape. Mütter argues that we can make our chosen families have that kind of orbital gravity. For example, Sunday services, or connections groups, or committees, or social action. But we have to work at it. With families, it's natural. We are our grandmother's prayers, our grandfather's dreamings, the breath of our ancestors. There's always something that draws us back in. The funeral of the matriarch of the family, the dedication of our sibling's first child, the wedding of the only cousin who we actually like. And of course, the holidays. Whoosh, here we are again. It's that time of year when we're all acutely and simultaneously reminded of this gravity. We're sucked in again. Some of us come here this morning having returned from Thanksgiving dinners with extended families, some from dinners with our chosen families who we find much less stressful, and some from not having Thanksgiving dinner with anyone due to work or isolation or finances or the choice of, oh, I just can't deal with any of these people. Some of us have brought extended family here to church this morning. Welcome, hello. The winter holiday stretch between Thanksgiving and New Year's is so inundated with cultural expectations that even for those of us who don't celebrate any of the consumerized winter holidays, we're all constantly reminded that this is the most wonderful time of the year when we're supposed to return with our one spouse and 2.5 children to our together forever parents' home to see our one other sibling with their spouse and 2.5 children and build snowmen together, decorate our white picket fence houses with lights and cook traditional American foods. Oh, expectations, they're so exhausting. And the worst part about expectations is when they're impossible to meet, like these ones. How does this sound instead from an opinion article about Thanksgiving family gravity by Mallory Oatberg? Although hopefully it will not be without its bright spots for each of you, some things you must resign yourself to now. 
you will almost certainly be unable to resist being drawn into a terrible fight with those you love most over politics or religion or food. You will travel great distances in small containers to visit people you resent. If you cannot avoid a fight, remember to later recast your personal narrative in a way that smooths over your own failings and mistakes. Wipe your memory clean of conscience. Lie if you have to. Now these are expectations we can live up to. The name of this part of the church building where we have worship is called the sanctuary for a reason. Here we find shelter, companionship, resolve, peace. But the hope of this congregation, of this religion, Unitarian Universalism, is that we can build a world where everywhere is sanctuary, a place of shelter, companionship, resolve, peace. Unitarian Universalists seek justice, equity, and compassion in all of our relations, which does include our own relatives. As I often say, our hands are God's hands, and the peace begins with us. So how do we make it through the pressures of this season and actually enjoy it? Can we be truly thankful for all who are gathered here and all those who are far away? Can we make our families the kind of families about whom we can say, oh, calculating people just don't understand the good, trusting, supportive way things are? And where we can write, Bob, Peg, it's me. Just send the money. The first thing we can do to feel better about our less than Norman Rockwell-esque family lives is to remember that few, if any, families have ever been that way. You know that way that I mean, well-fed Aryan American heterosexual parents with impeccably dressed children in a classy suburban home. Let us begin our healing with saying no to those unrealistic leave-it-to-beaver expectations. In our Unitarian Universalist faith, we look to the world religions to challenge us to lead ethical and spiritual lives. Though we may not expect it, there is solace in scripture for those of us with those unconventional, unusual, imperfect families. Here are but a few examples. The Buddha's father tried to manipulate and control his life in an effort to steer Siddhartha into the political not spiritual, career that his father wanted for him. Does any of that sound familiar? In both the Quran and the Christian New Testament, the young woman Mary is accused of indecency and almost abandoned by her relatives because she is pregnant before she is married. Does any of that sound familiar? In the Hindu epic, the Mahabharata, the princess Draupadi is married to five brothers, one of whom does some serious gambling and loses the entire family fortune, including Draupadi herself. Does any of that sound familiar? The Jewish Bible is rife with stories of tumultuous families. 
favoritism and jealousy at the heart of Cain killing his brother Abel, favoritism and jealousy at the heart of the strife between Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel, favoritism and jealousy at the heart of young Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, and that's not even leaving the theme of favoritism and jealousy. Perhaps we don't sell our siblings into slavery when they make us angry anymore, but we do still see families torn apart by addictions and jealousy. We do still see young people shunned for their reproductive choices. We do still see strife between the generations due to expectations about what a good life looks like. Let us not feel down on ourselves for not achieving the familial perfection marketed in our culture. In fact, scripture and religious stories show us that diversity, conflict, and imperfection is very much the norm. We are not what's wrong. The expectation is what's wrong. We can even share this good news with our families. Don't worry about the election. At least we're not literally at each other's throats. We're doing pretty good. This religious community is counter-cultural. We listen to the sacred texts and the, and the facts of our lives and know that families come in all shapes and sizes, some with serious problems and with the odds against them. That's reality, and we won't pretend we're any different. Let's take a moment and breathe in some peace and breathe out those expectations. For some of us, this is enough. Our families of origin are dangerous places of anger, resentment, emotional or physical abuse. Knowing that there have been such families for as long as recorded history may be all we need to survive the onslaught of holiday expectations. No thanks. I'm good with my chosen church family at Arlington Street and I won't be made to feel bad about that. For others of us, this isn't enough. Some of us may be positioned to better our dysfunctional family lives, hard a task as that is. For families are broad generational systems, just like in the natural world, the emotional homeostasis of our families can be out of bounce yet perpetuated swinging from one extreme to another, or just repeating itself endlessly. But as in nature, changing just one relationship in the system affects every other part. We are interconnected, interdependent. So where do we start? Our first idea is to often fix the problem family members, those troublemakers who we think make life more difficult. As an eldest child myself, I'm quite familiar with this impulse. Come on, difficult family member, can't you just do what's expected of you? Then we would all be like the cleavers. But as we've already discussed, expectations aren't always connected to reality. And it's the expectation that's the problem, not the family member. I promise fixing the problem relative is not the most skillful route to long-term familial change. The troublemakers may even thank us for giving up on that tactic. As Michael Jackson's saying, we can start with the person 
in the mirror. It is a lifelong project to introspect, engage in reflective spiritual companionship, and foster our best, most true selves. Let us not be confused or derailed by others' expectations for us. Let us search our souls to draw out our needs and our goals and our gifts. Let us be honest and kind to our truest selves. This kindness can heal us. And this kindness will naturally extend to our family members and their truest selves. As has been said, one cannot love another without loving oneself. Because of the gravity and interconnectedness of family, we also cannot love ourselves without loving our family members. Kindness that heals can be as simple as calling up a distant relative we haven't heard from in years. A simple phone call shifts around the family system by strengthening weakened connections. It may turn out that that California cousin is a really good guy. You just haven't chatted in a few years. Kindness that can heal can be letting your niece or your own child know that you've at least, you've at least, let go of the familial expectations for them and you want to be an advocate for them finding their own true path. Change can start easy with a phone call, an email, a Facebook message. And kindness, however, it's just, it's not always that easy. Another kindness is to point out elephants in the room. After we've made stronger relationships with our extended family, this task does become easier. And what do I mean by elephants? Here are some questions to ask. Who pressures us to keep the familial homeostasis? What questions are we not allowed to ask? What would happen if we brought up the taboo subject? I'll give you a recent example from my own family. In one of my grandmother's homes, she has a sideboard table right next to the front door that displays family portraits. There's my grandfather, who passed away almost 20 years ago, looking dapper in his NYPD uniform. There's her children at their weddings. And then there's me the eldest grandchild in my high school graduation portrait. When my picture first got put on the sideboard table, I assumed my brother and my two cousins would follow when they had graduation photos taken. But that never happened. Now, it's possible that she was never given pictures of my brother or my two cousins, or she hadn't noticed, or whatever. But it certainly didn't feel good. It was a discernible elephant. I never brought this up with our grandmother. I colluded in the familial tension and the homeostasis. It was just the way things were that her three other grandchildren were excluded. For years, no one else mentioned it to her either. But then my next eldest cousin took action. Can you believe this? She was fed up with this implied photo favoritism. And so she mailed our grandmother an enormous picture of herself. We're talking 11 by 17 here. <laughs> and a group photo of just her with my brother and hers. Here are some photos of us for your table, she told our grandmother. When she first told me what she did, I could only think, oh my goodness, what did you do? 
And it dawned on me that I had been afraid. I had been afraid my grandmother would be offended, angry, if any of us had pointed out this photographic disparity. I was afraid what would happen when the equilibrium was interrupted, that the elephant would go on a rampage. And this was just about sideboard table pictures. Asking about taboo topics and asserting our true selves, our true needs, may destabilize the family unit. Relatives may become upset. Familiar relations may become worse, harder, more contentious. Who knows what will happen if we break the silence? There's risk in change. But if old wounds are not brought out to open air and given the balm of kindness, Grandma, it hurts my feelings that you don't have my picture. I'm your family, too. Then nothing will change. The hope is that the upset caused is temporary. It will hurt and then truly heal. My cousin found this creative, humorous way to solve a seemingly small but quite hurtful problem. She inspired me and inspired this sermon. Suddenly I could see that families can be adjusted. It takes compassion towards oneself and creativity in our relationships. Two great Unitarian Universalist theologians, Charles Hartshorn and Henry Nelson Wyman, both described the divine as the creative good, as an inspiration for us to find new ways to better ourselves and the world. What creative ways of relating is God, the spirit of life and love, calling us to now? Let us go forth remembering at least until 2013 comes. The holidays are full of false, unrealistic expectations of what families are supposed to be. But we know families haven't been perfect since the beginning of human history. Kindness can heal us from those expectations and from unhealthy familial homeostasis. Kindness can help us be true to ourselves and to our own needs. Creativity can better our relationships by compassionately disrupting the status quo. May we choose such skillful means. May we affect positive change in our families of origin in our chosen families and in the family of the world, may we be kind to ourselves. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>